0: You're listening to a podcast from Community Radio 3RRFM
1: in Melbourne, Australia. You're listening to the Breakfasters podcast for the week July 25 to July 29.
2: Highlights this week, uh, we had a chat about movies that made you cry. For me, it was heaps. Uh, (laughs) And also we uh, had Rachel Ward and writer and director Chris Jones come in to talk about the film The Death and Life of Otto Bloom.
0: And Ruth Barson from the Human Rights Law Centre came in to talk about uh, youth detention in the Northern Territory. And then we had talk back... On weird songs during everyday actions, apparently everyone has them. It is true.
2: So, I oh, was having a chat with friends recently about um, movies that make you cry. Um, now, for me, that is a long, <laughs> long
1: list. <laughs> Every film, I don't Every imagine. F- yeah, pretty much. I think that maybe we should ask what film doesn't make you cry. Oh. Mm. Ah. Well, maybe we'll leave that for another time. Yeah, let me think about that.
2: That's that's gonna be uh uh probably the mask. I didn't, I didn't
1: <laughs> Yeah, you weren't a big I fan did, of did, that. I, I cried did not from cry from anger.
0: Yeah,
2: yeah. Uh but it was um do you know what movies come Disney films and Pixar films are very high on the list. Jeff, have you ever cried in a film?
0: Yeah, I sort of have a cold dead heart, so <laughs> <laughs>
3: Not, but not so much, although
0: I was thinking about it when you asked me about this. I was thinking, I can remember as a kid, I can remember watching Jesus Christ Superstar on television right. with my own dad. Jesus Christ. That's it, what made you. And either. I think I remember getting the it really upset? Cry. Jesus it was Christ, Jesus Christ Superstar. He was this nice guy, and then they crucified him, and, they was, and it was sad. I'm flabbergasted. And I can't remember my mum and dad saying,
1: No, it's all right, it was a long time ago. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: uh, That's, uh, yeah wow and Jesus. he rose again <laughs> so don't That's worry right,
2: about so it. So it yeah you wouldn't have known that that was going to happen no
1: it was a surprise to me no.
2: oh. <laughs> <laughs> everything's all right yes everything's right
0: it's very sad movie
2: <laughs> oh. oh it's so great joe you know i watched um my nephew this is a couple of years ago uh you know loves the football and, and stuff, so it was one that I was looking after him and he really wanted to watch the football but he also wanted to watch a movie and it was just like, oh, oh what are we going to do? Anyway, we went for the movie option, so he pulls out the you know, they've got a drawer full of DVDs and he's like, do you want to watch this one? Let's watch, and he goes, let's watch, let's, let's watch this one, let's watch The Lion King, let's watch The Lion King, this is the one where Mufasa dies, let's watch the, and I'm like
1: alright mate, spoiler alerts. Um, <laughs> this is when Mufasa dies, that's the thing that excites your nephew? Like, <laughs> Know, Specifically well, the death scene. Watch him die.
3: Yeah.
2: <laughs> Do you know, there was many other things. Let's watch the cartoon. Yeah. Oh. There were a few other things God. that he said, but it, right. that was one of the things. And I'm like, all right, all right, mate, we'll watch that for a bit. You know, we'll put it on. And then we're watching it and, you know, and with... He, and also, my niece as well watching it having a great time, and then it gets to the stampede, and he's like all excited and stuff, and because he, he's talking all the way through it going, "Oh, this is you because know, he's a it was a six year old kid that just knew what was going to yeah. happen, so I wanted to let you know, it's like oh, it's all right mate, just just watch it <laughs> and then so during the stampede though, sorry if you haven't watched the Lion King, but no I haven't sport, okay,
1: well, sorry, you're not gonna cry anyway, <laughs> it's not Jesus dying
2: <laughs> uh so <laughs> So he's like, um, he's watching. And then all of a sudden he gets really quiet and then comes over and sits next to me and, like, you know, puts my arm around him and then just starts, and then I just hear this. And I'm like, oh, (laughs) my hateful trying to get... Can't help it. I just cry every time Mufasa dies. And then oh my God. and then my niece came in and, and just both these kids just bawling under my arms and I was just like, Oh maybe we we don't guys we don't have to watch this movie. <laughs> A matata, guys. Yes, come on,
1: come on. Everything's all... and were you crying as well.
2: Yeah, no, no, no. It wasn't. A, I've seen it a few times.
1: It's so weird that they could anticipate the death yet still be totally affected by it. Oh, I'm so upset. We had to put the footy on. Is that kind of like, I got upset. <laughs> like watching Beaches now, where you like you know what's coming in in the film Beaches? Do you still
2: cry at Beaches? Yeah, yeah. yeah I same. get
1: quiet even though I know exactly. It's just when the wind beneath my, yeah. my wings happens. <laughs> 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 yeah, get, get yourself
0: I a mean... <laughs> copy, Jesus <cheese across>. Christ. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a friend of mine and her kid we, it watched Red Dog together. She was telling about this on the weekend and she reckons oh. that she's never bonded with her son more than when they were both in the cinema watching Red Dog just bawling together. And she goes, I think that he's still affected by how upsetting that film was, although I've never seen it so I don't know what happened.
2: Oh, it's, yeah, yeah. My dad had the the same thing. We realised after that movie came out, we it all made sense why my dad never really liked any dogs that we've had as a family pet. Why? Because he had a Red Dog and it right. really... Oh. Really, and it was called Red, and it was exactly like the dog from the film. Oh
1: my god! Does and it, it was, speak? Does it doesn't speak. No, in the it film? doesn't
2: speak in the okay. film. But it's just this really <laughs> great dog. And Dad had had one when he was growing up, and it just really—he's never had a.
0: Oh, so after that, good, like no, no that dog will it.
2: ever compete. Oh my god! With Red, and then this movie came out, and Dad was like, really, you know, Dad's a big, oh, you know, tough guy, and he's just like, yeah, no, I really. Yeah, really related to that film and like, Oh gosh, Dad, you know, I had no idea that he even had this dog and then
1: Mine well, it cracked his big heart Yeah, it cracked his big heart. Well he'll be pleased to know Red Dog Two's coming out, so maybe it's time for it? him to Yeah invest in be Red be Dog very Two. Happy in that. You're
0: listening to the best bits of the Breakfasters from three triple R. The shocking footage screened on, from, on Four Corners on Monday night is dominating Australian politics. Ruth Barson from the Human Rights Law Centre is one of the lawyers um, involved in bringing the shocking treatment of young prisoners of the Northern Territory to public attention. She now joins us on the line. Welcome to Triple R.
3: Hi, thanks for
0: having me Thanks for joining us Yesterday you published a piece in Fairfax entitled The Youth Justice System is a Slippery Slope of Failure and in it you argued that the Northern Territory's youth justice system is substandard young people are over-policed, education is under-resourced meaningful treatment and reintegration are non-existent and culturally relevant diversion programs are few and far between How did the system get into such an awful state?
3: Uh, well, <laughs> that's a really important question. I should say that um, while the Northern Territory Youth Justice System is certainly broken and exists on one, and end of the spectrum. I think more broadly speaking, uh, Australia locks up far too many uh, young people and certainly far too many Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander young people. Uh, We know that the Northern Territory has the highest youth imprisonment rate in Australia, but we also know that across Australia Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander young people are 24 times uh, more likely to be locked up than non-Indigenous young people. Uh, So while those comments are perfectly apt for the Northern Territory. Uh, I think uh, similar criticisms could be levelled at youth justice systems across Australia.
0: Uh, I guess what was in some ways most shocking about that footage was not that it was new, but precisely that it wasn't new, that there'd been so many inquiries previously that reports have been delivered to the Territory Government since 2011. Why had nothing been done and to what extent was that driven by a kind of, well, I guess by racism, by lack of care about what happens to Indigenous people?
3: Uh, well, I think there was, was and potentially still is a culture uh, of secrecy uh, and denial in relation to Dundale in the Northern Territory government. Uh, for the government to now be saying uh, in the last 48 hours that they weren't aware of this material, uh, I find... Uh, implausible the government had numerous reports as as you said the government had numerous requests from lawyers to access the footage uh, there was a complaint made by the human rights law center to the world's expert on torture in relation to Dondale uh, just last year so the government knew fairly and squarely what was going on in Dondale, but it did a remarkable job at keeping it uh, away from the public and away from lawyers and journalists for so long
2: how How did the information eventually come out? was there a whistleblower or how did it yeah, how did we find out about it
3: uh, i, I 'm not sure uh, I, I have no idea there I suspect that uh, somebody provided the information to the journalist. But I think, more, again, more broadly, it speaks to the importance of whistleblower protection, whistleblower protections, um, uh, As I said, this information and these images were known to the Northern Territory Government for a number of years, and it's required um, a brave person or people to uh, stand up and provide that information.
1: Mm. Um, I think one of the striking things for me... In the Four Corners program was when um, I can't remember what the name of the judge was, but there was a judge who essentially said that when she sent young, yes, when she sent young people to Don Dale, she felt scared, kind of about their futures. That she knew that this wasn't going to solve a problem. Were there or are there any other systems in place when youth or children offend in a place like the Northern Territory before we incarcerate them?
3: Um, so I should say again, probably if you interviewed youth justice magistrates across Australia, they would have similar concerns. Um, yeah. That youth detention centres make things worse rather than make things better. And there's a lot of evidence to support that. Um, So probably I I would hazard a guess that Sue isn't unique in her concerns. Uh, But in relation to alternatives to to detention in the Northern Territory, no, there are certainly not enough. And there aren't enough in the rest of Australia as well. Um, Too often young people are given uh, only a handful of chances. To have a community based sentence, that sentence is of, um that community based order is often policed very heavily, so young people are set up to fail, and the youth justice system, as I wrote, becomes a slippery slope uh, such that young people find themselves locked up very quickly. Um, The other issue that's very prevalent in the Northern Territory and across Australia is young people are held on remand, so in pre-trial detention at far higher rates than adults are. Uh, And that's largely because... uh, Again, young people are often set up to fail with impossibly difficult bail conditions, Uh, bail conditions that they inevitably breach and they find themselves locked up in pretrial detention, even if the ultimate sentence isn't going to be one of imprisonment.
1: You do keep mentioning in wider Australia and in wider Australia the Royal Commission's now been announced and George Brandis has been very clear it's just going to focus on the Northern Territory and uh, not the rest of Australia. How important do you think it is that the Royal Commission goes beyond what's happening in the Northern Territory?
3: Well, I'll come to answer that question more specifically in a in a moment. But I think um, obviously what we've seen is at one extreme end of the spectrum, um, the type of cruel, inhuman, and degrading treatment that um, was exposed is utterly unacceptable, and Australians are right to be outraged. But the reason that I bring in keep bringing in wider Australia is because these issues are. Um, prolific across Australia and it might be easy for us to um, to single out the Northern Territory as a pariah jurisdiction as such, but I would really caution against that and say that even here in Victoria there are critical issues going on with the youth justice system and with too many young people and too many Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander young people being locked up. Um, in terms of the Royal Commission uh, like you said, Brandis Last night on 7.30, the attorney was very clear that the Commission will solely focus on the Northern Territory. Uh, I think it's probably right that at this stage, the Royal Commission does just address the acute injustices that we've seen and the acute cultural and um, ongoing problems in the youth justice system in the Northern Territory specifically. But there is a learning for the rest of Australia and it will be a missed opportunity if the rest of Australia doesn't um, doesn't also change to become more humane. Um, by way of example, all jurisdictions across Australia in, are in breach of human rights, law and human rights standards, by maintaining a minimum age of criminal responsibility as 10 years rather than are 12 years or older.
0: Mm. Um, We saw Gillian Triggs, the Australian Human Rights Commission, saying that uh, the abuse in the Northern Territory was a manifestation of a culture of increased detention without trial throughout the whole country. On Monday, Malcolm Turnbull floated a plan to allow convicted terrorists to be held in custody after the sentences had expired and the Labor Party floated that they would agree with that. Isn't that precisely what Triggs is talking about? Um,
3: Well, I think we should be wary of conflating, obviously, terrorism related issues with youth justice issues um they're obviously very different cohorts of young people but i think um what triggs um was referring to a a culture of hyper incarceration or of resorting to the criminal justice system Uh, and thinking we can arrest and detain our way out of social problems is precisely the thinking that goes into um, punitive laws um, that we're seeing increasingly emerge across Australia and across different fields in Australia.
0: Mm. Because the other thing that jumped out at me watching that footage was um, I wondered um, whether we could now have any confidence in what's happening in um, immigration detention where I would imagine that um, the same sorts of pressures are are,
3: are at work. Uh, And again, similarly, I think we need to um, be cautious about drawing too long a bow between um, youth justice and I don't at all want to shy away from the fact that these are young people who've committed offences and asylum seekers who are people who've committed no offence at all. Um, But I think it it does raise alarm bells in terms of... uh, places like Nauru uh, and Manus Island are um, even far less transparent and visible in terms of the practices being employed there so I I think it should raise some level of alarm bell in terms of what's permissible in closed environments and closed environments that don't have any independent oversight.
2: Uh, With the Royal Commission that's uh, about to to happen what do you hope um, will, will come out of that?
3: Uh, Well, I think first and foremost, uh, we need accountability. Um, We've got a situation where young people have been exposed to cruel treatment and there needs to be accountability for that treatment fairly and squarely and that accountability needs to come from the top down so it's not just um, the people directly involved but um, the people who enabled that to occur and i suspect um, that enabling environment went all the way up to the minister's office Um, i think the second thing that needs to occur is to make sure um, the culture in these types of closed environments in detention centers isn't a label and that isn't able to denigrate to such a level again so really making sure that something like this doesn't happen again Um, and then thirdly and um, equally importantly really addressing this issue that's pervasive across Australia of why Australia is locking up Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander young people at such enormous rates.
0: We've been talking to Ruth Barson. She's the Director of Legal Advocacy at the Human Rights Law Centre. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for
4: having me. You're listening to the best bits of The Breakfasters from 3RRR.
0: The new film, The Death and Life of Otto Bloom, will be premiered at the MIFF opening night, which is tonight at the Hamer Hall, prior to its screaming as part of the film festival. Um, I think it's showing on the 13th of August. We're going to be joined in a minute by Rachel Ward, who's one of the stars of the film. I think she's just caught in traffic, but we are joined now by the director of the film, Chris Jones. Welcome to Triple R.
5: Thank you. It's lovely to be here. It's lovely
0: to have you here. <laughs> this, Chris, this is your first feature film. You've been working on it for a long time. It's about to have its world premiere tonight. How do you feel? Are you excited? Are you nervous? A
5: bit, bit of both? Um, yeah, very much so. It, it feels that the the world is moving both in slow motion and super fast at the same time. <laughs>
0: uh, uh, well, to give people an idea about the film, The Death and Life of Otto Bloom, it's about a man who sees time backward, I feel and I've seen you've, you've done this in most of these most of the interviews that I've read distinguish it from the curious case of Benjamin Button, which is the obvious time travel um
2: Look at you rolling your eyes <laughs> No, no,
5: no, no, it's, it's one of those things where I think people who haven't seen the film and they, they see that it's about a, a man who experiences time backwards um, they can make that assumption, oh that sounds a little bit Benjamin Button and it is actually a really useful point of differentiation. So um our character Otto Bloom does not age backwards like Benjamin Button. Uh it is more that his consciousness is, is moving backwards in time, so he remembers the future and has no memory of the past. And um if 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 that makes
0: Yeah, I mean, it's a totally different. Mm. um, Really, once you see it, there really is no comparison. I was um, reading accounts of the struggle you've gone through to get the film made since you graduated from VCA in 2003. And reading them, I almost feel surprised that anyone ever gets a film made in, in this country. But you haven't really gone for the easy option. The Death and Life of Otto Bloom is a feature film exploring some of Einstein's ideas, not necessarily, you know, the... The, the standard fare for Australian movies, were you ever kind of um, tempted to think, oh, why don't I pitch something that's more commercial? Well,
5: that might have been sensible. Um, I, <laughs> I mean, I, look, I like to think that our film is, is very accessible and it's designed very much as an entertainment. Um, you can only do the projects... Well, I can only do the projects that, you know, I'm passionate about and, uh, you know, I like exploring scientific ideas, philosophical ideas... Um, at the heart of it though it is it is very much an old fashioned love story it's um you know traditionally love stories about love stories are about two people who are in love and held apart by a certain obstacle often it's a geographic one in in our one It is this kind of uh reverse time flow which is which is the you know the the Celtic sea in our little um, Tristan and his older that we've created. So yeah,
1: you filmed it as a in a documentary style. How hard is it to do that without something becoming a, like a mockumentary? Because usually when you see that style on film, it is kind of a mockumentary. It's not. It doesn't take on a kind of a serious aspect.
5: That's right. Yeah. I mean, we avoid the word mockumentary because. Yeah. Sorry about it, that. It no, <laughs> no, no. But I mean, it's certainly a faux documentary, and there is like a, a tradition of this with. Um, you know, like Woody Allen's Zellig is is a film which uh, used kind of old newsreel footage um, in the style of the opening of Citizen Kane. Um, For me, the big inspiration stylistically was uh, Errol Morris um, and his documentaries, The Fog of War tabloid. I remember seeing The Fog of War many years ago and for the first time and just thinking, I wonder if there's a way of using this wonderful interview style he has of people talking directly to camera um in in i'm not a documentarian so i I was wondering if there was a way of using that in a in a fictional film and yeah it only took like 12 years for the 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 story to come along after that so
1: (laughs) what were the challenges then in trying to kind of play out a a whole story uh through that style
5: um gosh all the challenges, all the challenges, um, <laughs> all the challenges in the world. I suppose it's it's just you're you're ultimately going for uh, authenticity and for something that seems very off the cuff. Um, the, the we had a, a setup where so Rachel, who will hopefully be joining us soon, yeah. uh, and the other interviewees would uh, they weren't just even though they when you see the film they're talking down the barrel of the camera. Um, they were actually looking at uh, the image of another person projected in front of the camera, so we were getting that kind of intimacy, that closeness. Uh, we had an interviewer asking questions, which don't actually appear in the film. Um, I had to. I wrote the script <clears throat> pretty much as it appears in the film, and then had to reverse engineer everything that everyone says as a response to a question. Ah. Um, so that was.
1: Song. Just what, wanted to make it really hard for yourself. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah,
5: basically. I mean, that's, that's the point.
0: One of the things I really liked about the film, it's a film about well, time travel in, in in a sense, but the different scenes have a very clear sense of the era that they're in because they're shot to, in that er- Errol Morris sense, both in terms of the fashions, but also the technology. There's, you know, video clips that are clearly on an old VCR, the terminology that people are using in the very 80s. Did you have fun putting all of that together? I mean, it's...
5: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm a child of the 80s. I was born in 1980, and um, my first memories are from 1983, which, uh, curiously enough, is... Is when the the story of the film begins. So, I love. I mean, I still prefer watching films on VHS on a CRT monitor than on, you know, DVD or Blu-ray or on some very nice screen. Um, I'm a little mm-hmm. bit retro in that way. But we just had such a wonderful art department who took care of the costumes um, and the and and all the you know retro technology of it and it was fun i didn't realize when i wrote it you know the challenges of making what is essentially a period film which covers gosh i think it's about three decades Mm. over the course of the film so yeah it it was a challenge but it was it was it was a lot of fun as well I, i love old Machines and sort of,
0: Yeah <laughs> And the other aspect of that Was that I mean It's an international film It's set in You know um, In various continents at, In America At various times But there's also A real sense of location In it I mean It begins in Melbourne yep. This discussions about Kensington. There's very. It's a very Melbourne feel to the start of it.
5: Yeah, I, I I wanted it very much to to begin in Melbourne. Melbourne's my you know my home, and I wanted to have a film that that, that starts off very local, and then, um, and then the canvas hopefully just continues to broaden. There were challenges about shooting uh, scenes. Uh, set in New York in Melbourne but uh location department were amazing and uh, we actually shot a lot of the New York scenes at, at Melbourne University and you know, oh, I've it's spent a lot of... Basically New York. Basically <laughs> New York, yeah. It's like lower Manhattan. Um, I've spent a lot of time at Melbourne University and I've never, never looked at a building and thought, ooh, that could be in New York, but... Um, yeah, they did an amazing job.
1: Uh, we're joined in the studio now by <laughs> Rachel Ward, who is stuck uh, in some pretty horrific <laughs> horrific Melbourne traffic. Oh,
4: I've for ages. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Oh, we have been.
1: We've just been filling time. It's entirely Matilda's fault. She told me
4: we won't need, didn't need to be awake till 11.30. Uh, no. <laughs> oh, no. I had to oh, are no. well, <laughs> you in the
0: lobby? No, it's a, it's a continual <laughs> problem. So I
4: haven't cleaned my teeth.
0: Sorry.
3: <laughs> Sorry, listeners. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs)
0: Uh, we were just discussing the film, but now that you're here, Rachel, I I, I was fascinated, um, you're obviously in the film playing the same character alongside your daughter, Matilda Brown. How did that come about? Did you both... um Ah, oh, the word
4: alongside is the opposite <laughs> word. No, I wasn't, because, of course, we played the same person, so there's no alongside. Oh. I mean, I see what you mean right now. But, but did you plays, take the part on she together? She plays the older character, and I played the younger <laughs> that's one. Correct. No <laughs> right,
0: that's
5: correct. absolutely right. She's, of course. <laughs> she seems to think it's the other way around, but she's wrong. No,
4: and as you know, it's a sort of faux documentary, so I'm the talking head, really. I'm narrating the story. So it's my experience that's... And several others who are... Um, who described this extraordinary man? Don't we? And I hope oh. you've told the story because he I'm, has. I did. <laughs> I'm yeah. going to pass that one on to Matilda because it's, <laughs> <such a little, laughs> it's such a little, it's such a mind bender. And oh. it's so brilliantly. Clever, and there's always bits you think oh, I'm going to catch Chris out on this one because this can't work out, and then you'd sort of challenge him on it, and you would say, "Okay, that's easy. This happened and that happened, and of course, this is because of this." So he, at the time, he was thinking, in the he was in the past, but he was
1: he was oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <Talk> to you, <laughs> I just learned my lines and got on with it. You, I mean, you haven't been in front of the camera for about a decade now. You mm. spent a lot of time behind it, though. How did it feel being in front of it again?
4: Um, it was fun. It was fun. I mean, it was, you know, it was an ideal situation because I'm just in a studio on my own, so I have all the attention, all Chris's attention. (laughs) And Chris seemed to like what I was doing, so it was all hunky-dory. Good. No, it whetted my appetite are you gonna we're we gonna have more no, are we so. oh. <laughs> yeah. it took a long time to get me back because there wasn't anything particularly sort of made me go oh this is better than being behind the camera but yeah. this script was really i mean it came from my agent they said i know you don't want to do anything but this one is really interesting have a look oh. and i read it and immediately said yes uh, is this a goer? Are we? Is, are they crazy?
1: Yeah, let's go. <laughs> Did you feel nervous knowing that you were going to be with Rachel and she had all this experience behind the camera? You're like, oh, oh she's judging me. <laughs> <Don't you? laughs> yeah,
4: I, I was terrified. I and was looking at him like, you can't be doing that.
5: <laughs> 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 and and then and then I mean, I, Rachel was just so so wonderful to work with, and I kind of suspect maybe now that you know, having gone through the experience, that maybe you being a director made you more sympathetic to... Well, maybe more interested. Well, yeah.
4: So you're always more interested to see, as an actor... You know, because as an actor, you don't... When, you, when you're not a director or you're not a cinematographer or whatever, you just take all of that bit for granted. You're not really plugged in or watching what anyone's doing. But when you come back to it from the other side, you're very interested. But mind you, you weren't... It wasn't a particularly interesting bit of your film with me because it was just uh, an interview so it wasn't you well, weren't very, really allowed to have your flair it's
5: very interesting it's the heart and soul of the
4: film yes but there was no sort of um you know cameras from the ceiling or no. sort of whiz bangery was there no
5: there wasn't no, no. <laughs> no. It's, it's very much about character and emotion and, yeah yeah
4: no it was great to do it actually. and the huge challenge for me is that when i took it on i went there's so much dialogue here well thank god i'll have an auto cue. and uh-huh. then as i started to sort of practice and you know rehearse by myself i realized there's no way i can do this with an cue. there's no way i can really do this performance reading lines i've got to live it so about a month before we started shooting i had to basically learn 35 pages of sheer monologue which which
5: which we shot in four days which we shot in four days yeah unheard of yeah,
4: It was incredible. I, I, it was incredible. I mean, when you know what my brain is like, it was really amazing. <laughs> amazing. I'm not going to get Alzheimer's tomorrow.
0: <laughs> we were talking to Chris before about the struggle to get a first film made, particularly a film like this one which is sort of interesting and doesn't fit in a generic pigeonhole. It's someone um, who's been in the industry for a long time, is that still an issue that you struggle with the whole way through, the that gulf between... Know the project that you might want to do, and the project that is commercially viable, or is it going, to, or is going to get funding?
4: Try the first is easy. Try your second, <laughs> second third. <laughs> I don't know. Does no, it get easier though? No, it doesn't get easier. But you know, should it? I don't know. Should it? Should it yeah. be easier? I mean, it's I a really it's, hard game we chose.
2: Yeah, I think it seems like it. Yeah, you get your first one up because you, you know, you're new and exciting, and yeah. then. And then it's the second one. It seems like, you know, the big film people go, no, no, you've, you've had your go. We'll move on to, to somebody else now. Well, is that what it's like or...? I don't think so, so much, because I think, you know, people are very, obviously
4: the industry is keen on nurturing talent and stuff, but um, it's really hard. I mean, Chris is in a better position because he writes his own stuff and he mm. writes beautifully. So well, he write? just has to... Yeah, but... No <laughs> um, You will just have to sit in your darkened little cave for a while and come up oh. with another masterpiece. But you know, it is it's really, really hard to write a good script. And sometimes it's you know, it takes a lifetime to have one good idea, let alone two or three or four good mm. ideas. Mm. Um, obviously one's all, I mean, I'm always looking for material to adapt, but even that's hard. I mean it's it's amazing considering how difficult it is. Mm, how much rubbish sometimes gets out there because you think how did they, how did they manage to get the money for this? But s- sometimes it's easier when it's lower common denominator or whatever. Somehow it's uh, easier maybe. Minimal uh, viable product. Min- is that what it's called? <laughs> Minimal viable.
0: Product. Right. Is, is there more support than now than when you were beginning?
4: No, I think there's less. There's less because we, look, we've got a huge problem. With the the American PR machine in front of us. I mean, really, if you look at the multiplexes, they're just full of American films. And, you know, we get a little window in there because part of the deal with distributors is we'll, you know, we'll distribute this huge blockbuster and we'll give one week to a small Australian film. So we can't compete with the money that comes from America. Hmm. So, what
1: does it take for an Australian film to kind of crack America, so to speak? Do they need to see oh, it need to get oh wow. how, what
4: was the last film that cracked america it doesn 't work know. the other way around? Yeah. we just get absolutely thrown their culture at us, and people flock to it because of the publicity and because yeah. of the you know the cultural indoctrination about American culture mm. and, um, and uh, we get squeezed out so there isn't a healthy appetite for Australian product that's the main problem you know the public is not going to Australian films mm. they go to it they watch Australi- Australian television but it's really hard to go co- and you know it's hard to compete with those budgets I mean all the all the whiz bangery which is the mm. new word I hope you like bangery. all the whiz bangery and the budgets. We don't have the budgets.
5: Yeah, and it is. I mean, it's very much the marketing. I mean, even when a film is gets terrible reviews and mm. and, and bad word of mouth, when it's on billboards and um, you know buses, people yeah, still go to of see the it. Ziges, yeah, you know, and the kids
4: talk about it in the playground, or you know, I mean, the one, the faith, the most faithful audience is the over fifties. Mm. because yeah. really they grew up in a culture of film, yeah, and they grew up a culture of going to the movies, so they 're not seduced in so much by the streaming and by watching everything they want to watch on t v they love the the, the you know the, the experience of going to the theater, so they 're the most loyal audience and yeah, so a lot of the theatres when you cinemas you go, you see us all these days. <laughs> well, well, I, I, you know, I'm spiritually there. Oh, you like you're always
5: <laughs> well, there. Really. I, I don't, I don't, I don't have a TV. I don't watch films at home. Yeah. I only go to the, the yeah. theatres.
0: So, so yeah. what um, happens now, Chris? Um, the the films going to screen tonight for the 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 premiere, um, mm. and then what happens after that?
5: Um <laughs> um well, I, I it's weird because I, I'm I'm now at this point which I've been kind of uh working towards for a very long time and I haven't had a chance to stop and think beyond that, so I don't know, the future is (laughs) unwritten. When's the the film going to be released? Um, Early next year, I believe. Oh, right, long time. Yeah, we're going to wait for People can see
0: it as part of the film festival. It's called The Death and Life of Otto Bloom. We're all going to go and see it tonight.
3: Yes, woo! Very much
0: looking forward to it. We've been talking to the director, Chris Jones, and the actor, Rachel Wood. Thanks so much, both of you. Three, triple, R.
2: Now, here's the thing, and I'm convinced I'm not the only one that does this, but sometimes I will sing little songs in different situations. Sometimes I'll change the words to suit the situation. Sometimes I don't need to. Um, Like, for example, if I'm running late for something and I'm trying to, you know, get things done to get out of the house, get where I'm going, and then I look at the time and then I realise, oh, actually, I'm going to make it. It's going to be fine. And then I'll start singing. I am going to make it. Yeah, I'm going to make it. I am going to make it. After all. On loop until I get there. Um, Or another one... (laughs)
1: Do you do that? I actually know exactly what you're talking yeah, about. No, I do, I do too. all the time. And I didn't know that it was... I've never thought to ask other people, do you sing songs <laughs> when when something happens in life? No, because I've always thought I was just a little bit <laughs> mad. <It's a> shameful <laughs> secret. Totally. when it rains, no matter what, I also... They tend to be really weird songs and not necessarily ones that I would listen to. So whenever it rains, I always, always go... I'm, I'm only happy, happy when, when it, it rains. rains. Always. Oh, it's it, how weird is that? A weird garbage song, but it's just that bit that goes over and over in my head. Yeah, do you know? Oh, the other one that I have is
2: um when someone loses their keys. What do you do? Tori Amos, the com- from com- what you know the um the, where. Which put the keys, girl? Da, oh da, da. yeah! Which put the key uh, That that goes. The on, one but...
0: that I can't stop doing, and it's like you said, Sarah. I know it's crazy, and I can't stop doing. But every single time I go to Coles, I think it's called the local supermarket. You do down, know,
2: down prices are no, down. No,
0: no, oh my God, my God. <laughs> got some pride. No, no, it's the the, <laughs> the 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 automatic machines, right? You know, like you, <gasps> you go through. Great, yes, and the voice says to you. um if you have a flyby's card. And every time it Nine 99
1: thinks- problems! No. Oh! oh. If you've oh, got so it, i
2: right. Yes! No. Every time that pops into my head, sorry. Every time it pops
0: into... Oh, in my it. God. Every time it pops into... the specials if you have a racist friend. And every oh. time...
1: <laughs> That's such a Jeff song coming to your head too. <laughs> every yeah. time,
0: I find myself singing it <laughs> that along, and um, you just got to be careful you don't sing it too loud because people look May, at you like you're a bit crazy. Maybe totally. some of
2: our listeners have a song that they sing that they want to share with us. Give us a call nine three double eight one zero two seven if you do. But that's you know that ninety nine pro- every time that would pop that's into the, my head. I feel like yeah, that's yeah. going to happen go to me now. go shopping one yeah.
0: day and then.
1: It would be doing the machines and <laughs> yeah. you'd be singing yours and I'd be singing mine. I if really want get, to know if I this get, happens no. to other people. Yeah. I think that, that happens to all three of us, one, we're either a little bit special or two, <laughs> no, this is a really common occurrence. Almost every time I run upstairs, I do Rocky. Yep. You know, oh, yeah, and of course. Yeah, I'm yeah the yeah. Tiger, that kind of, yeah.
2: There's another one that my brother and I used to do to each other from a very young age where if they got to do something, you know, there's you know, quite similar in age, and he might get to go, you know, somewhere or whatever, and he'd turn around and just start singing, Jealous, jealous, I got the power to make you feel it. That was our song to each oh. other. And, you Does know, make you jealous?
0: Yeah. the other day you were talking about how you made up songs about Lloyd, Lloyd of oh, the Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and no, I do that as well. i don't do not sure know if I said that at the time, but, yeah, about Gruff, my cat. What, what are the songs? songs well, you? no, it's just like it, you can make up any song when, you know. You put um, Gruff into it. Yeah, so like, you know, you'd be trying to move because Gruff doesn't move very much. Mm. Uh, she's quite old. But, you know, you'd be trying to make the bed and you have to get Gruff to get off the bed. So you'd be singing, you know, say, Come on, Eileen, but you change it to, Come on, Gruff,
1: get off the bed. <laughs> I feel like <laughs> come on, Eileen, is, is a really common one as yeah. well. Because it's whenever people say things to you like, come on, or... I have yeah. a similar... When I used to, you know, my brother or sister... Yeah, you know, It
2: looks like we're the only ones that I know, this. No kind one of called us. Uh,
1: when my brother or sister would say to me, I want you... Or someone would say, I want you to do... I want... I wanted you to do this. I wanted you, I'd go, I wanted you to be a mountain. I'd rather be a river. And it's just the most annoying thing to have sung to you. Oh, no, people are calling now. Are they calling to tell us that we're a bit crazy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah or maybe. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. Um, hello, you're on Triple R?
3: Hello, I've got a very silly song that I sing to myself.
1: Nothing what? silly here.
4: What is it? I actually deliver food and I carry buckets of mayonnaise. Yeah.
3: <laughs> And I sing, mail, mail. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. Yeah, that is not
1: silly. That is amazing. That's very silly. Oh, thanks for your call, mate. That's excellent. You're nice. Uh, <laughs> <Okay. should> have <laughs> a good day. Uh, hello, you're on R. Good morning,
3: guys.
1: Good morning. What's uh, your song?
3: My um, my wife's uh, phone, when she gets a message, it goes, dung, dung. Um, every time, uh, but it, it's the same pitch and tone.
2: Uh, oh, she can match and, uh, it.
3: And, uh, well, the thing is, yeah, back back in the, I think, uh, back in the eighties, that they, they had uh, Monlog, They had Monlog, more than a jar of fruit. Yeah.
1: Oh I'm so happy. This is not us. These are excellent. Thank you so much for sharing that. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> See right. you, mate. Hello, you're on Triple R. <laughs>
3: Yeah, good morning. Uh, I I work um, in the pest control
5: industry, and uh, every then we have a job which will finish early. And uh, I sing uh, one Parmigiana to the tune of One (laughs) Tamamena.
1: That is awesome. That is like the most.
2: One Parmigiana.
1: (laughs) Oh, I love it. I love that. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you. Hello, you're on Triple R.
3: Oh, good day. How are you?
1: Good, Good, mate. (laughs) What's your song?
2: Okay,
1: so um, when I go to the toilet... Like, oh, oh, God. This, is, this is not going to end well, is it? Am I going to have to fade you out? No, this is all right. No, 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 it's
3: all good, it's all good. Um, so I go to the toilet and I and I'll do my business, I do my big business, and um,
0: Nick, Nick Cave comes into my head and I start singing,
2: I did a poo, I did a
1: poo... I did a poo. This is gonna. This is gonna fade you out. mate like, I can't. Thank, thank you, thank you. Still going. This is that. He's still going. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's
0: a different. You make a
2: tonne of runs singing that song <laughs> oh,
0: Different side of Nick Cave. <laughs> oh,
2: there's a different side of Nick Cave. Should we risk another one? Oh, yes, mate. yes, please.
1: Um, No, I think that's better. I don't think it runs. Oh, cool. well we, done. We had lots. There was lots of people, but that does make me feel a little bit better about... Um... It seems like the whole of Melbourne
0: is singing crazy songs as they...
2: I love it. Ah. It's a toss-up between my photos, between um, the Pooh song or the Mayonnaise song.
0: Yeah. No, I'm fascinated by the delivering buckets of mayonnaise. Or
2: catering size.
0: Yeah, yeah, right. I was thinking like maybe some sort of restaurant where you (laughs) have a bucket of mayonnaise. (laughs) (laughs) This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want
3: to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.